everybody, welcome to another episode of The Comic Source. I'm your host, Chase, here with another creator-owned spotlight to talk about an upcoming Zoop campaign, Coven, A Book of 100 Witches, and we have the creator, Richard Pace, here to tell us all about it. Richard, thanks for taking the time. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, so uh, this campaign launches on Zoop October 3rd, uh, everybody, so this coming Tuesday, uh, if you're listening to this as it's been released, Runs for the 30 days. Uh, it's a bit of a different project in terms of it's not necessarily a series or a you know, graphic novel story, um, but it does have some storytelling elements, and it's definitely just in time for Halloween. So uh, I'll turn it over to you, Richard. Uh, let our listeners know what Coven, A Book of 100 Witches, is, uh, is about. Well, first off, I'm really surprised they let you know the date because they keep telling me, the guys from Zoom, don't tell them the date. Don't say <laughs> the date. We want everyone to sign up. um this is um there is an narrative element into into this book of uh 100 witch drawings in that you can't draw 100 witches and not come up with a story for why you're drawing all these witches so if this book is successful enough shows that there's enough of an audience for it there will be a graphic novel uh about these coming later but actually what it is is this this started last october uh, Inktober came around and I was on the, I love the idea of uh, Inktober, but I'm just so busy all the time. It just can't really fit it in. Um, but I thought, you know what, there's that, that kind of like lazy person's Inktober where you just do four drawings over the whole month. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, I can, I can do four drawings. I can do four drawings. Um, but then I was like casting about what to draw. I, I hate prompt lists. Uh, if you've seen Inktober or, uh, or the last few years, you've always seen like just before October starts, people start putting up prompt lists for yep. what they want people to do. And I, I rankle at that. I, I much prefer just to do whatever I feel like doing when the time's right, when it comes to this type of activity. And I thought back to, um, now I'm, I'm of a certain age. I remember getting Playboy when you shouldn't and <laughs> in the issues and honestly getting playboy when you shouldn't is probably the best time to get playboy oh yeah uh, and, and, and and looking back at my life yes but one of the things that was in those those 70s 80s playboys were these little pen and ink drawings by an artist named Leroy Neiman probably more famous at the time for doing these sports paintings these really almost abstract palette knife oil paintings of athletes but he did these little women drawings in pen and ink, and they had silk stockings and silk, silk opera gloves and dark hair. And they just stuck in my mind. I said, well, I could do a witch version of a femlin because that's what they were called, femlins. And um, I drew one. And right after I drew the gloves, I said, oh, I'm not going to give them fishnet leggings. That's just too much, <laughs> especially if I want to do more than one a month. Um, so I drew the first one. And I said, oh, I felt pretty good about that. Next morning, I wake up and I'm about to start my regular. You know, I can do another one. I'll do another one. I'll do two. And I keep saying, no promises. I'm going to do all 31. I'm, I'm going to try and do as many as good. By the 10th day, I knew I had to do all 31. <laughs> I was having way too much fun drawing these things. Um, uh, my followers already following me on Instagram loved it. And then my following expanded dramatically over the course of the month. And it's like, and roughly halfway through October, my art rep said, should we sell some of these? I'm like, yeah, sure. And they sold out in like a day. So I went, okay, these are kind of popular and I'm enjoying them. 
so I can lean into a bit. So when when Witchtober, as I started calling it, ended, I decided I'm going to do one a week for as long as the interest maintains. And it did. Um, I ended up doing 38 Witchy Wednesdays. Uh, but in that, I started really, really going head to head with Instagram censorship, which wasn't really ever an issue before because, you know, you could do erotica, gentle nudity, um, as long as you were staying away from any, anything hardcore sexual in art, you were fine. But um, I was getting all sorts of like discos against me, even drawings of the witches or some of the drawings that have no nudity whatsoever. They were getting uh, told that I couldn't, I shouldn't be posting these because they go against community standards. So it was, it was becoming a bit of a frustration. So I decided, well, as I neared 38, I was like, you know what? 31, 31, two Octobers, and 38's 100. A book of 100 witches, that's a great idea. Um, so I figured that would give several months for Instagram to forget about me. So hopefully I can I can, I can, can avoid their weird... I think a, a friend of mine told me it's because Threads was coming up. Uh-huh. It's tied to Instagram that they increased uh, the community uh, policing uh, just because of that, because it's weird in March. Tell me if I'm babbling too much. Um, but in March, um, Instagram made an agreement to lighten its standards uh, after meetings with some uh, some groups. And then that never happened. And then suddenly it's not just me. It's artists all over Instagram or just stuff that was fine last year is just verboten. Yeah, it was it was, it was terrible. Um, but I'm thinking that, uh, I, I'm going to, everything, everything I do goes up on, uh, my Patreon completely un, uncensored. Everything in the book's going to be completely uncensored. And it's not that there's much to censor, just occasional, you know, extra hair and maybe, you know, not male nipples. Yeah. Uh, and it's, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm going in, God, it's this Sunday. Yeah. I've been doing these these this, these countdowns of some of the quotes people have said nice things about my work, and I just kind of went, "Oh, this countdown's making it too real." I'm starting to feel some anxiety, but um, yeah, this Sunday, Witchtober 2023 starts. I'm going to be posting them, and hopefully, uh, the audience is still there for them. I got lots of messages of people saying they're excited for it, and yeah, the Zoop campaign is launching October 3rd, and we're hoping the book does well. I mean, there's a whole bunch of other things on offer there's a lot of the original art that i still have uh for the witches um some of the full like nine by 12 pieces might be out of some people's budget but i did 30 headshots as part of my september countdown to witchtober uh so those are a lot more affordable if you still want an original piece by me that's one of these witches and and the book you can do that we're also offering um signed and remarked versions of the book where i'll actually do like little nice sketches little drawings uh, in the book uh so there's lots of ways if uh to get the art and the book and there's other things like signed comics because i i'm 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 a part of second coming um uh, from over at ahoy uh there's also this batman book that's kind of popular batman the doom that came to gotham they made a movie yep. out of it that came out mm-hmm. this year um and so we got i got a pile of those books on hand so we're offering those as as also as also add-ons i'm not sure what the term term for this is but uh yeah we we think um we think we got a good book here so we're we're pretty excited yeah the thing that strikes me and 
you know, I'm, I'm, it's disappointing to hear, right, that there's censorship going on because there's everybody, there's absolutely, yeah, yeah. Is there some, you know, nudity? Yes. But is this gratuitous? Is it like in your face? Is it exploitive? No, no, not by any stretch of the imagine, you know, imagination whatsoever. It's more about evoking mood, right? That That's the thing I get yep. when I, when I look at your, uh, your witchtober work, right? It's it's Halloween. It's spooky. Uh, witches can be scary, but they can also be sexy. But again, this isn't kind of you know over the top. I wouldn't even say this is not like cheesecake art or or anything like that. This is just the spooky witches, which a, a lot of times you know the hat is pulled down over the eyes. There's a sense of mystery. There's a sense of the unknown. Uh, and it's just, it's, it's very tasteful. And so to hear about censorship, it's just, it's not neat. It's not needed. It's not necessary. This is just art. Uh, and again, I, I'm not surprised to hear you say that you're having so much fun doing it because that comes across in the artwork. And I think it's probably part of the reason that people have responded. Has, has that kind of been your, um, the feedback as well? People can tell how much you're enjoying it and that just kind of feeds in. It becomes cyclical. I think I think that's a big part of it. I mean, um, out of all of them, I think I've maybe drawn one witch who isn't smiling. Uh, they're all happy. They're all living their best lives. They just happen to be naked, living in a coven in the middle of nowhere with this beautiful big house and giant goats. I mean, <laughs> lots of ravens, lots of cats, occasional, you know, drinking cigar festivals flying around in the broom. But, I mean, this is, it's... I, I, I like the, the iconography of the witch with the big, you know, pointed hat. Mm -hmm. um, and it was just fun to visually play with it. And I I, I honestly think uh, the biggest fan base I grew for my witches was largely women. Um, Instagram has this one. Like, I mean, it was on Twitter before I, I, I got banned off of Twitter recently. <laughs> Yeah, apparently you can you can do all the anti-Semitic stuff you want on Twitter and you're fine. But if you mention, you know, the last time we dealt with the wealthy elite telling us that we're, you know, we should be punished for wanting more, the answer was a guillotine and that was too much. Yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. So it's 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 you know, not to complain, but it's like I was I was planning to leave Twitter after October anyway, because it was just I had a large enough following there. I felt I, 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 it'd be rude to like just not let them see the witches. Mm -hmm. But uh, X, sorry, X took that out of my hands. But I, 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 in Instagram, they actually give you diagnostic tools, like not diagnostic. What would be the like term I'm looking for? Analytical tools. Analytical, yeah. And um, my my follower from women increased by about I don't know the exact percentage, but it jumped from about 14 percent to like nineteen twenty percent. Oh, that's substantial. Uh, so, and that was just during the month of October last year. And I kind of went, well, this is not a bad thing in, by any stretch of the imagination. The audience growing, but also specifically growing uh, with women who just like these sexy drawings. So, um, I'm really happy with that. A lot of a lot of the the compliments they like the fact that I'm I'm drawing real women. Yeah. Um, as opposed to like extremely stylized um, cartooned women, which I don't have a problem with at all, but I can understand where it's like, there's, there, I'm not leaning into the hyper unobtainable figure. Right. These are, these are right. Um, and it, 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 I mean, it's a good use of all those years of life drawing I did. Yeah. So. 
<laughs> yeah, well, you mentioned earlier, uh, it's kind of hard to do a hundred drawings of, of witches and not have some kind of narration, some kind of story in your mind. And, and you also mentioned, you know, possibly doing a graphic novel, uh, yeah. you know, based in this world. So at what, what point, like, was it when you're around 10? Was it with the first one? Was it 50? At what point did kind of the backstory that you kind of set all this in your mind, did it start to feel realized where you could possibly tell a story in the future? Um, I think the first thing was, is someone asked two full things. Um, why can we never see their eyes? Because there's only one witch drawing where you actually see the eyes. And that was for my banner for Comic-Con. And that, that was a fully colored piece. Every other witch, you can't see your eyes. And, um, and I realized, okay, there's a story bit there. There's there's a good story bit there if I play with it. So I came up when when young women apply to the coven, um, they have to enter in blindfolded. And um, and I just sound it sounded mystical to me. It's kind of mm -hmm. like that. Ooh, what would be kind of like a weird thing? So it's like they have to stand outside the coven house that they they know is the coven house, set all these fires, uh, and they have to wear gloves so they don't burn themselves, strip down naked, but wear a blindfold. And if they're worthy, they'll be welcomed in at the dawn of the next day. And in my head, well, the witches are always partying Halloween night. So that's why they just have them wait, because they don't want to do the work of bringing in new people who just are dilettante. So they made it right. hard. Yeah. But they usually stop partying around dawn. And that's when they go, oh, shit, there's one. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and and they bring them in. And and then I realized, OK, so the, the scarf around the eyes always has to be black. That's one of the stipulation rules. And I already plotted out the story that actually gets that all across. Uh, and they have to wear the blindfold when they're living in the house. What happens is, as they learn to see, despite the blindfold, because that's part of the magic of becoming a witch here, the blindfold turns their hair black and it grows into the hat. Oh, cool. So, so basically, when they fully become a witch, they have the hat. And so everyone knows they're, in a, they're a full witch. There's blindfolded young women walking around the coven house, learning to see or feeling along the walls. They're, they're apprentices, for lack mm -hmm. of a better word, or students. Um, but as, as they learn to laugh, you can never see their eyes because they're always seeing more than we can see. And if we saw their eyes when they're seeing that, we couldn't handle it. That's my comic. Wow, that's excuse. really cool. That's really cool. All right, well, so we need the graphic novel. <laughs> so I would, I would very much like yeah. to do that. I, I have two graphic novel projects I want to do next year on top of my Conan work and second coming work and everything else I'm doing. So it's uh, I, I would really like to draw um, a nice 64 page chunk of story with a bunch of naked women in hats. That's that's a life goal. Yeah, fantastic. All right, everybody. So uh, now's my chance to remind to remind you. Link in the show notes. You can go check out the campaign. Check out the original art you can buy. Check out the book. Check out the remarks. All that stuff, uh, and and you get a, a sense of you know this kind of the style and the tone that Richard's going for in these drawings. The other thing I'll remind you is maybe this sounds like it's right up your alley. You would love to be a part of it, but times are tight. You don't have the means right now. The other way you can help Richard out is just share this on social media, right? Especially during this month of Halloween, make a great gift. Uh, if you're going to a Halloween party, that sort of thing. And just let's get the word out. So retailers know about it. Other fans, other people that might want to be part of the campaign can learn about it and get a chance to join. Uh, and obviously if you can pledge and, you know, get an amazing reward and be part of the community as well, then that's, uh, that's great as well. So, um, so Richard, in terms of Inktober and in terms of, you know, your process and, and what have you, one of the, th the things I love about Inktober is it does, 
shine the spotlight on kind of the underappreciated art of inking, which so many people, uh, even longtime comic fans, well, that's just tracing over the pencils, right? It's so much more than that. So you've been doing it so long uh, and you're such a fantastic, talented uh, inker and, and visual storyteller. What are some of the things that you think kind of uh, comic fans who may not be as familiar with the process of inking and what it adds? What are some of the things that you wish more comic fans knew about the art of inking, the the kind of the um, the skill set of of inking and what goes into it? Uh, I think well, no two inkers are alike. I mean, I lay down a line that I only I lay down the line the way I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's there's an, an intrinsic um, scratchiness to the way I build things, and that's part of part of my choice and tools that I, I prefer working in, and part of in my approach where I do so little penciling these days. Uh, I pretty much lay out, make sure I get a strong layout and proportional elements, maybe some perspective elements. Everything else is drawn in ink. Um, so sometimes there's a tentative start line. Uh, when I'm drawing something, but then, okay, if, as soon as I know that's right, I can, I can strengthen that line. It creates more, to me, it creates more of an organic observed type of drawing. Mm. But if I was inking someone else, let's say I was inking, um, uh, I, I, I'm going to bring up Jim Lee because Scott Williams always comes to mind when, when when you think about people who ink, uh, Jim Lee, Mm -hmm. uh, Scott Williams has this pristine control of line, uh, smooth razor sharp uh incredibly well controlled uh skill aspects i never really really fought for um but that yeah, makes his style is very his scott's the best word i can use to describe scott's style, it's just very clean yes yeah and not in a, a retro like vinnie coletta clean where it's like the lines are so simple and minimized right she can do the complex rendering um but you partner him with a precise pencil like jim lee even when he's like in loose stuff, he knows exactly how to lay down that line to get that information across. Whereas if I was confronted with a Jim Lee pencil drawing, I would have to approach it of drawing over top of Jim Lee, which mm-hmm. would probably not be a happy mix because um, Jim draws for that type of clean anchor. I mm-hmm. uh, don't necessarily draw. It might be an interesting result. I mean, it's like um, sometimes you see someone like uh, Bilson Cavett or Kent Williams inking another artist who's never been inked by someone like them. And, and, and the, um, the friction between the, the stylistic approaches are great. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm not saying I wouldn't enjoy, you know, inking some of these really precise pencilers sometimes. Um, but it is, there is an aspect, there's always that aspect of oil and water when you're talking about creative collaborations. So it's, if I was an editor, I would always be on the lookout for an anchor who looks like they'd be comfortable on my pencilers, my hired pencilers uh, work. Um, and occasionally experimenting with a cover or a pinup or something like that. Right. Uh, inking, inking is, it, it's, it's, it's a little galling, but people, all you do is trace is because if you look at Klaus Janssen, uh, even if you stick to like the sketchy guys, Klaus Janssen, Bilson Kevich, um, Okay, I just had like three or four. I, let's leave it to those guys. Those are ones everyone knows. Right. Um, they don't approach laying down a line the same way. Right. They have they see things differently and they interpret what they see into their process in a certain way. And and then you hand it over to like a Scott Williams or um, oh god, Craig Russell. Here's there's a there's a good example. Craig Russell almost never inks anyone else anymore, but he has this 
beautiful, fluid, clean line. And sometimes she's inking someone like uh, um, Mike Mignola is a good example. Uh, Craig inked some early Mignola stuff. And it was just beautiful. It, it, it works with Mike's um, stylized, clean figure work and those chunky shapes so well. Um, and then you see when Craig inks himself, which is a lot of it's photo reference, but also simplified down to almost a, uh, Aubrey Beardsley, even Art Nouveau type approach to, to the drawing. Um, inking is, is so varied. And I think, I think part of the reason comics doesn't understand inking is so much of it's been, uh, assembly line. Yeah. Where, where all the inkers got treated the same, even though everyone in the industry knew they weren't. And the books just had to come out. So no one really got a good good chance to study study good inkers until really the 80s hit. And we really got a sense of like what the hand of the penciler, what the hand of the inker, how the colors interpreted it. All those elements really started coming out because we saw started seeing like more in-depth interviews with the artists. And I think with, with the internet, uh, we've seen even more in-depth interviews with artists talking about process and everything. And I, th I think the audience today versus the audience when we were younger has a better understanding of what inking is. Yeah, it's. I, I totally agree with you. I've had this conversation with Jonathan Glapion as well. Uh, yeah. The whole tra Tracy. Oh, he's been so good. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah he he's, is so good. He's fantastic. He's kind of transitioning over into, into doing pencil. But the other part of it, that kind of is making inking a lost art is now that so many people are digital, they're going like directly from like digital, yeah. almost you don't even call them pencils, you know, it's digital line work directly to color. Yeah. And, you know, well, it can be just as amazing. I do feel like something is lost. And I, I, I am very appreciative of kind of the generation of comic reader I'm from because I, I've read so many comics and I, you know, I saw the transition from traditional to digital and I can do things like, Look at Craig Russell's work on Mignola, which you mentioned, which to me, there's a roundness, there's a fullness to that, as opposed to looking at something like my favorite uh, Craig Russell art is he did a couple of issues of ROM Space Night right, right toward the yeah. end where he's doing yeah. his own. That you well, I, thought would, he, I thought he inked Steve Ditko on those issues. Did he actually do some? He did. Issues? He did. He made. He at least did some covers that, that of his own. Yeah, I saw uh, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I'm I'm pretty sure he did. There's one at least one issue that he he. It's not over Ditko. It, he did the whole whole thing. I, I want to say it's like it's a pink cover, or I'm finding like this green robot. If memory serves. Um, but yeah, but it's fantastic. But the, my the point is, you can look at that Craig Russell art. And then look at him inking over Mignola, and it's it's totally different. One's not better than the other, but it's just such a different feel. And and here we are, you know, the same same artist, you know. Yeah. So it does go to show that, again, the textures, the additive art of what you can do in inking matters so much. And to bring it back to Hundred Witches, that's what's so amazing about this. I don't want to say simple work you're doing, but the, the clean work, the fact you're doing it in black and white, there's no color, whatever. I think it gives people a greater appreciation for what's possible. Do you feel that's true? I, I think actually there was a learning curve for me on, on the witches. Uh, the first, um, in the, in the fir first group of 12, I, I started rendering into the figures a lot more. Mm -hmm. which darkened and made the work a little heavier. Right. And as I went along, especially after I started playing around with rubber stamps for some visual texture, 
uh, which was a, f- a fun little bit to, to, to discover. I, that's an aside, but uh, I realized the more I left the witch figure open, um, the sense of lightness of the overall drawing really, really came out. So uh, instead of like, a lot of times I'll render forms and I'll like blend things in the shadow and everything. It's like in Conan work, I'm doing a lot of that. Um, and, but with the witches, I find that the figure left open as if it was going to be colored, but I don't color it. I just use the line quality for it. It just, it just, even in an otherwise dark image, um, they feel that they glow a bit. Mm. Which is, uh, which was a nice revelation, which means going into this one, I, I already have a solid approach to the witches, um, which is going to make things a lot more enjoyable because now it's, it's, there's, there's an essence where it's like, um, first witch tober and into which Wednesdays I was writing songs and kind of hoping that this, this witch tober is more like playing a concert where people know the hits. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. yeah. So kind yeah. of riffing off some of the past stuff you've done, uh, that, you know, you mentioned lighting that does bring something else to mind, um, that I would love to pick your brain about because so often when I talk to a color artist, right, they're mentioning, okay, where's the light source coming from? You know, how's this going to be colored in terms of hues and shading and that sort of thing? Uh, when you're doing stuff that's black and white, uh, you know, it may not be as overt because you're not dealing with shades and hues of color, but you do still have to be very aware of where the light source is coming from, where shadows are going to fall and and that sort of thing. So uh, is that something at this point in your career that just comes second nature to you? Is it still something that you have to consciously think about? Uh, talk us through that a little bit. Well, I, I was always like going right into art school. I was very much into understanding light and shadow. Um, so working with dry media, especially charcoal content and stuff like that, it allowed me to immediately, okay, you break down the form, you immediately start adding the light and shadow. So the understanding of, of core shadow, shadow and reflected light was there from like, God, I was 18. Mm. Um, and I find that as you go along, sometimes you forget some of those basics, but you always end up having to rediscover them if you want your work to get better. So I think I think actually in my mid fifties, I, I think I understand light and shadow <laughs> right. about as well as I'm going to. Right. So when I'm drawing, I I I'm seeing the light in a drawing, even if I'm not rendering it. Even when I'm like doing a cover and I know I'm coloring it, I can see what I'm going to do with the color. Um, right off the bat, and I end up doing things like I just I just did my first Conan cover, and I rendered the hell out of this kind of like. Lovecraftian Stonehenge in the background, knowing full well when I got the coloring, I would be hitting it with layers of like visual dust and light and sunbeams and stuff. So it's almost invisible because yeah. I want the color work to look this way. Right. I want the black and white work to look this way. So it's 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 at the point now where I know I know some artists who will leave areas that just do them in color. Mm-hmm. So they'll they just won't draw it in black and white. They'll do, uh, they'll do it in, in when they hit the coloring. I find that I like it there, and I can make my changes in the color to the pen and ink, and that way I don't end up delivering what feels like an unfinished piece if someone buys the original art. Oh, that yeah, that's that's a good point. Plus, who knows? You know, with variant covers and what have you, they may decide, hey, it's second print. Let's do the. Uh, Let's do the black, and black and white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that's, that's always. I mean, oh my god, my friend Jim. Uh, who writes Conan, Jim Zub, 
Uh, he was telling me they're going into the fourth print of issue one. of Yeah, Conan. I saw Jim posted that the other day. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And yeah, oh, are- if you follow Jim, did you see the pages he got from uh, um, from Conan issue two? I think got some beautiful pages. Yeah. I, I haven't seen the the raw art mm-hmm. that Rob was doing for this book. And it's so beautifully washy and stuff. It looks so retro and it, everything gets reduced down to blacks. I'd like to see him colored with the gray values and his inks maintained at some point, yeah. or even yeah. just a black and white artist edition of, of uh, Conan to see his work in, in yeah. just like, yeah. He's yeah. It reminds me of uh, the old, the magazine, the old school, you know, the Savage Sword. Well, because, that's, uh, that's, that's my yeah. first Conan work, Savage Sword. Yeah, but I I think that's why that book is doing so well because uh, you know Marvel had the the you know license previously and it sold okay but it did great but you guys are capturing like more I, I feel like capturing the feel of the books a little better you know with how how much you all love uh, Conan and just it doesn't feel you know not again not to put down any of the work that was done on Conan at Marvel but that felt it had a little bit of a corporate feel to it if you know what I mean. And this it was safe. Part. It was, uh, yeah, I mean, safe. Yeah. Some of the art and the Marvel Marvel runs of Conan were impeccable. Some of it was like, eh. but some of it, I mean, uh, the Ron Garney stuff. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, but I found until Jim came on board, and um, I knew I knew Jim loved Conan, like Howard Conan. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So when Jim came on board. It was almost night and day. Here's someone who not only understood the material, but he also understood how to still be his own writer, but work within essentially the mold that Robert E. Howard created for Conan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. He, he's like, he, he, yeah, occasionally he'll step outside the lines, but he really understands uh, what Howard was doing with Conan and what the best Conan comics were like in terms of Conan stories. And, and just talking with, I mean, like we sat down, like he wrote a loose plot for um, our Savage Sword story. And then we, because we, we're local to each other, we actually sat down and I did layups and we talked over layups while we're going through page by page through it. So getting the whole, you know, 44 page story laid out and talking with the writer and making changes while we're there, just back and forth. So what about this? What about this? What about this? And Jim knows storytelling so well, because he also, he's been, he's, he also comes from a background animation storyboarding mm-hmm. and stuff. And he's drawn his own comics. Um, it was great. It's possibly so far my best ever experience working on a comic book that wasn't just all on my shoulders, yeah. which is a little anxiety provoking. But it's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, printing, yeah. Four printings of the first issue. You guys are clearly doing something right. <laughs> yeah, they are. They're doing an amazing job. And the edit. Oh my god, the entire staff. Matt. Matt, the editor, is amazing. Dolphin's amazing. I've seen some of the art for. Um, I don't know if I don't know if they've announced it yet. I don't want to. So there's an artist who's coming to do a small arc, uh, mm-hmm. so uh, Rob can jump to issue nine, and that stuff's gorgeous too. I mean, everything is is just oh my god, and I'm I'm just super excited to be working on the relaunch of Savage Sword, which is I think the book that made me want to do comics. Yeah, that's uh, so that's that's that's, that's, that's nice. Yeah. So from from Conan, uh, which obviously uh, near and dear to a, a lot of our hearts, to uh, celebrating October with uh, 
this coven and uh, and a hundred witches. Uh, I wish you the best of luck, Richard. It's been great chatting. Uh, as we're winding down here uh, again, everybody, a reminder: there's a link to the campaign in the show notes. Please go and check it out. Let your uh, fellow comic fans and artist uh, lovers uh, check it out. Let your retailer know. Uh, anything else you want to share with our listeners, uh, Richard? Before we're uh, signing off here. Well, no, I think I think we covered everything. I mean, um, yeah, I'm just really excited to get this month started, man. It's just spooky season, my favorite season. I'm not a pumpkin spice latte guy, but I, I I encourage everyone to enjoy the season to the best of their ability in whatever way makes them happiest. Uh, well said. Well said. Uh, okay, everybody, there's a link to uh, Richard's Instagram as well in the show notes. So you can go click there. You can look at, back at past um, uh, Witchtober uh, art and obviously follow him. Um, so you can see all the new stuff as it comes out. Don't forget to go and check out the campaign as well. So Richard, again, thanks so much for joining me. It was a real pleasure to, to talk inking and uh, Kevin with you. All right. Thanks so much, man. Uh, and to you all, you listeners, we want to say, uh, we want to say thank you as well. We appreciate the support as always, and we will talk to you next time. You can find the comic source podcast on Spotify, Apple podcast, Stitcher, Google play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.